All right, tonight we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, uh, chapters 10 and 11. Paul, so far in this letter, has established his authority with them, giving them somewhat of a history lesson. Hey, don't forget me. I'm the one that kind of started that church. You know, he came into a, a complete group of heathens, just unbelievers, just a whole, you know, not someone who was like disgruntled with their church, so they decided to switch churches kind of thing. He went into a group of people that never heard the gospel before. And he shared with them from his heart and established them in salvation and then taught them to grow and to grow and to grow. And they were doing really well. And of course, they had some problems after he left and he corrected that with 1 Corinthians and they received his correction. Oh yeah, yeah, we were getting kind of carnal there. Now this second letter, of course, is to reestablish his authority because after he left, there are some people out there that don't go start and, you know, minister and share the gospel, you know. Um, and they had come into this Corinthian church and tried to establish their authority there. And, um, and these were the, the Jews that would follow Paul around typically and tell them that, yeah, 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 grace and mercy is wonderful, but there's a whole bunch of legal stuff you've got to follow through on. Um, and then would try to bring in this, the old covenant in with the new covenant. You can't mix those two together. The, the new covenant replaces the old covenant. But they would try to bring it in, and, and they, in order to do that, when you can't win the argument, what do you do? You attack the character of the person. Um, that's how you know you've won the argument when they begin to attack your character. And so they'd attack Paul's character, and they call him a squeaky, you know, hook-nosed, skinny little guy. And he's going to actually say that here in these two chapters. I know what they say about me. I heard. And uh, yeah, maybe my physical appearance is weak. Maybe it isn't as, you know, awesome as it should be um, or could be. But I am strong, and he's going to establish that here. So this basically, these two uh, chapters here is him reminding them that um, I can be bold if you want me to be, basically. Um, I prefer not to be. And so verse 1, chapter 10, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence, um, um, who in presence I am lowly among you, but being absent I am bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present I may not be bold, with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. There are some out there that think that we're pushovers, and um, I'm going to be bold with them, he says. But I don't want to be that way with you. I want to be gentle. I want to be meek. And, and there's a reason for that. Paul knows that that's how people receive the gospel. That's how they understand Jesus. That's how they know, and they can receive it in their heart. is from a humble heart, from someone who's meek and mild. Now, the, problem, or the, well, the difference is Paul's meek and mild and, and gentleness is a choice. Um, but from their perspective, it's a character flaw. Um, and that's something that we all have to kind of deal with with ourselves. It's a choice to be gentle and, and, and patient with people um, and, and not be bold, you know, whatever the opposite of bold is, to not be bold. That's a choice. Um, to be yielding to someone is a choice. Um, it's not a character flaw in a Christian. But we ought to be able to be bold. We ought to find that within ourselves, have such confidence, not in the flesh, but confidence in our walk with Jesus, that if it's necessary, I don't, I don't have to be yielding. I don't have to because I have the truth. I know the absolute truth. I have it in my hands here, and I know the absolute true God. Um, so if, I, if you need me to be bold, I can be, and we all need to have that. We don't ever want our weakness or meekness to be a character flaw. We want it to be a choice. 
And so Paul says, this is a choice. I want to come to you with gentleness and the gentleness of Christ, but I will be bold. Now, I think he's referring to the Ephesians, um, but we'll get to that in a minute, because he does write a letter to them that's very similar, addressing the same issues about walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And so he says that to them. This is how I want to come to you. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. I'm imploring myself to you, which means he's not commanding. He's hoping it's a choice that they make to com- complete their submission, to complete their understanding of, 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 uh, of walking in the Spirit and so on, which is what he's about to get into here. Um, that's his hope. Um, that's always the best. It's always nice when people just say, yeah, you know, that's great. I love God's Word. It's so true. And I was wrong, you know. Um, it doesn't always go like that, but that's wonderful when that happens. And God works awesome things in people's lives when they receive the Word of God with gladness. When they receive it with skepticism, with, with I don't know about that, or they begin to fight against God on these issues, um, that's okay. God's got big shoulders. He'll win. <laughs> He'll win. But He's willing to wrestle with you on these matters. But um, He can't work, and He can't do that work in you until you say, yep, you know, after we've wrestled with this, God, I understand you're right. And that's when the process begins. That's when you can be, he can begin to replace your attributes with his attributes. And so Paul's hoping that that's the case here. Verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. He's reminding them that they're spiritual, you know, um, and I think they knew that when they got saved. That's what being born again means, and we've talked about that, but let me basically go over it again. I know that you've heard it probably a thousand times, but when you're born and created in the image of God, you're body, soul, and spirit. You're a triune being, just like he is, and he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and when everything was right in the garden, it's that place, that spirit, his spirit and your spirit, that's where you meshed up. That's where Adam and Eve would walk in the cool of the day with God, and it was really good. And then when they ate of that the fruit, um, the knowledge of good and evil, that spirit died. That fellowship was gone with God. Now they knew him, he existed, but there was no fellowship, there was no understanding, there was no communion, they would hide. And that's the state every human being is in until they receive Christ as their Lord and Savior and they're resurrected, they're born again. And all of a sudden, wow, it all makes sense. I mean, I know about him, and I, I, I would never say that Jesus is a horrible guy or anything like that. I know enough to respect him. I've grown up in America, for goodness sakes. But they don't have a relationship with him, and they've never had that understanding with him. They've never read his word, and it pops off the page. And Oh, my goodness, that's amazing. That's for today. I was just praying that, and he answered me. You know, they don't have that. So they don't know what you're talking about, and they don't know what I'm talking about a lot of times because they're not born again. Well, these folks are born again. They've had that happen. They're in that, they're in that place. But then these guys come in behind Paul and tell him, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's amazing what the letter can kill. The letter kills and the Spirit gives life. And they bring this law in. They bring these rules in. And all of a sudden, they're walking in the confidence of their flesh, not in the confidence of the Spirit anymore. They're not walking in the Spirit. So Paul's simply trying to remind them, hey, remember that although my eyebrows are really thick and close together, and I've got a hooked nose, and I'm skinny, and I have a squeaky voice, and my eyes weep, and I'm not much to look at. Remember, that's not how we fight. 
when it comes to spiritual things. When things go down, we pray, we seek the Lord. I'll give you an example of one of the things Paul did. Acts chapter 13, verses 9 through 12. This is the squinty-eyed, wimpy-looking dude, you know. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. This is um, uh, Elias, I think. I can't remember his name. And said, oh, full of all... He's a, he was a sorcerer that he had been battling with, <clears throat> basically. Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. That's who they're dealing with, and that's what Paul's trying to remind them. I, I, you know, don't look at me, look at the one who sent me. God sent me. God's the one who's doing everything. It has nothing to do with me. If you look at me, you've greatly underestimated the Lord. Because I do not at all look like him. I don't have the power he does. But he does work through me, and he does work with us. And that's important for all of us to remember. When you're, when you're having that battle, maybe you don't even know you're having the battle. Maybe you think this is a chemical issue. Maybe you think this is an imbalance. Maybe you think something else is going on when all of a sudden you wake up in a funk. You feel this heaviness over you. You feel this, I don't know what it is. I just, I don't, nothing happened. I just feel, I don't know how to put my name. You're in war. You're feeling the collateral damage of the spiritual warfare going all around us. It's constantly happening. It's all there. Satan, I mean, and the Holy Spirit, they are at war for our souls and the souls of this world. And that's all going on, unseen to us. And sometimes you'll get hit with shrapnel, and that's what that feels like. Oh, I don't know what it is. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. I don't know how many times that's happened. I, you can almost, I, it takes me a little bit of time to recognize it. I'm like, I don't know why I'm like this. I'm just kind of Eeyore today, you know, just kind of feeling, you know, I don't know what it is. And, and, I, and I'll think about it and say, you know what? Nothing happened. Everything's good. There's nothing wrong. So this is something else. I mean, it's not like I got bad news, or it's not like whatever. It's, there's nothing wrong. I know what's going on. And then, then I realize, it. oh, you know, okay, God, I don't know what it is, but you do. I pray you win. I know you do. And I just start talking to him, and I begin to praise him. That's important. To recognize that it's a spiritual warfare, um, and then to praise the Lord in the process and let him have the victories. And so Paul's saying this is, this is something different. Our weapons are not carnal they're, 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 they're spiritual. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, this is the armor of God. You've probably read this before, but um, it goes really well with what, because he writes this to the Ephesians. The same thing he's writing to the second Corinthians, or the Corinthians here in the second letter, he writes to the Ephesians something very similar and, and gives us a little more information so you can pull this all together. This spiritual warfare that we're in. Finally, my brethren, um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, not in your own power, not in your own strength. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand." 
That's all God's asking us to do at the end of this war, at the end of this, is to, are you still standing? You know, and some days it may feel like that. That's all I got. I'm still on my feet. I don't think I have anything else, but I'm still up. Good for you. We are being barraged constantly from this world. We are constantly being attacked in the flesh because that's where Satan tempts, doesn't he? He doesn't tempt my spirit. That's a lost cause. That's the Lord's. He does tempt my flesh. He tempts me with my eyes. He tempts me with all sorts of different things to get me to go after the carrot, to chase the carrot, whatever that is. Whether that's money, whether that's women, whether that's men in your case, if you're a gal or whatever, whatever it is that tempts you. It could be an addiction, whatever it is. That's the carrot. That's all Satan can do is attack your flesh. And that is constant. That is constant. And so he warns us about that. Paul does. And now here's the rest of that. Verse 14, stand therefore. If you're going to stand, here's how you stand. Having girded your waist with truth. Know the truth. Know the truth. Don't, don't know the lie. Don't know the partial story. Don't know what somebody else said about it. You know the truth. We've been given the Word of God. Read it. There's no reason we can't know it. Not unless we're lazy and we don't want to know it. But know it. That's why you're here tonight. I'm preaching to the choir. But... You're here to know the truth. And so we're studying God's Word because that's the truth. We got it. Satan doesn't want us to know that this is a spiritual battle. Satan hates this stuff to be uncovered. He wants you to think that it's something going on around you. He wants you to take it out on your spouse. He wants you to take it out on your kids. He wants the kids to take it out on their parents. He loves to see that infighting and not even realize that that's not their enemy. He is. That's the best thing you can do is to get them to divide, and divide that house up and get them all fighting amongst each other. And they think it's each other, but we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That war, that fighting, that irritation, that however you came home from work, whatever it was that caused those sparks when you got home between each other, any kind of family member, any kind of co-worker, someone stirred you up. And it wasn't, it wasn't the person. Someone got that person stirred up. And he warns us about that. Gird yourself with the truth. Understand it, recognize it. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. When you're walking in righteousness, it's, it's hard to be attacked. They will attack you, but it won't be in truth. It'll be a lie. It'll be someone attacking your character, trying to malign your reputation. But they can't because it's not true. Because you've been walking in righteousness. That's a protection. That's a very strong protection to know. To lay your head down at night knowing, you know what, I didn't do anything wrong. I, didn't, I wasn't wrong in that situation. Everybody thinks I'm wrong, but I know I did the right thing. That's a, that's a good way to sleep at night. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, are you ready for that? That's the, that's the part that makes us run and moves us. You know? Are your feet shod? Are they, are they wrapped up and ready to give out the gospel of peace? Above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And that's what you feel most of the time, is those darts. They come in, they sneak in, sometimes they're relentless. But you put that shield of faith up. What's that mean? Everything we're talking about here, every piece of this armor, some people kind of go through the motions, and maybe you need to do that, that visualization. I put on the helmet this morning before I got out of bed. And I'm not making fun of you, I, I use that voice because I don't do that. Because I know every piece of this armor is Jesus Christ. He's my salvation. He is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is my righteousness. He is my faith. My faith is in him. The gospel is about Jesus. All of it's him. Um, the sword of truth, the word of God, always speaks of him. You know, it's Jesus, and I have him. 
And that shield of faith that you hold up every day is to remember this. You want to stand at the end of the day, but if you don't, you do understand you're saved by grace and mercy. And tomorrow's a new day to start again. And to get up and go. And to put that armor on. I'd like to succeed every single day, but I don't. I don't think any of us do, but you want to. And this is a reminder. Take up that shield of faith. That's going to hit those fiery darts. The fiery darts aren't meant for them or anybody else around you. They're meant for you. They're meant to stop you from walking with Christ. That's, that's the key. If he can get you from stopping and walking with Christ, don't go to church. Stop reading your Bible. Don't waste your time in prayer. Don't talk to those Christian friends of yours. If he can separate you from that because you feel so bad about yourself, mm, he separated you from the herd. That's what wolves do. They come into the flock. They separate the weak until they're not with the herd anymore. And herd stops running. You ever watch that on the animal show, Animal Planet or whatever? Herd stops running. They're not after me. And this poor little guy's running off by himself. And there they are. The whole pack's on him. That's what Satan wants to do. Separate you. Get you to move away. Stay close. Stay tight. Take that helmet of salvation. Put that on. Remember that your salvation is in Christ. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Remember whose sword the Word of God is. That's the Holy Spirit's sword. He uses it really well. I don't use it so well sometimes. Sometimes I grab it by the wrong end and I'm clubbing people with the sword, you know. And then I get all cut up. You want to hold it by the hand and you want to let the Holy Spirit tell you and share with you, here's what I want you to share, here's what I don't want you to share. Let Him use the Word of God properly. But use it. Be ready for it. Anybody know uh, Ken Graves, uh, Calvary Chapel pastor of Maine out there, rough, tough guy with the beard, does Greco-Roman wrestling. I saw him one time at a pastor's conference. He was sitting in that seat right there, not at this church, but at a bigger church, much bigger church. But he was sitting right there, and I was probably where you were, Della. And his buddy, who he had sent out, another pastor, comes running across, another six-foot-three guy, comes running across the stage and tackles him and tips over the whole row of chairs right there. Boom! And he sits on top of him like this. He goes, and I'm like, man, that's a church. Can you imagine what that? Wow. And they, you know, they wrestle and they get up. Just like brothers. It was, uh, anyway, he has this leather pouch on the side of his belt that he wears with him everywhere he goes. And he's got it snaps on it. And the Bible fits right in there. And it says on there, God's, God's word or God, God's sword. However you want to look at it. God's word, God's sword. It says it right on there. That's important. He's always ready. He's always ready. You never know. It could be at Hy-Vee, it could be at Walmart, wherever. I want to have the sword ready. I want to pull out my sword. He carries it like a sword, like you would anything else. He feels like a knight walking through this land, ready to protect, ready to help, ready to do whatever, and pull out the sword whenever you want or whenever you need to. Always have that. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And when you pray, this is what he's saying here, that's why there's a dash there. When you pray for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That was Paul's concern. I pray I don't wake up one day and I wake up sheepish. I want to be bold for Christ always. So when you pray for me, pray that I'd always be bold for Christ. That tells you something. When someone asks you to pray for something, that's a weak spot for them. That means, I don't always feel like being bold, Paul's saying. I don't want to ever lose that, you know. 
So when you pray for me, pray that I might be bold enough to speak what I ought to speak, no matter whom I'm from, because I'm in chains right now. I'm an ambassador for Christ in prison. That's a hard place to be. Unjustly accused and incarcerated in chains, but still preaching the gospel as if, as if this is exactly where God wants me and this is my congregation. No matter where I am, this is my congregation. Paul says, pray for me. And so that's what he said to the Ephesians. Now back to Corinthians here. It's a spiritual war. Verse 7. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? He's challenging him. Corinthians, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. We're no different. You're no better. Or we're just as Christian as everybody else. You know, If you're in Christ, so are we. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. For even if I should... Boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. And then he quotes what he heard them say about him. This is their quote, and he knows it. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. That's what these guys came into the church and said about him after he left. See, now, if I was a Corinthian elder, <laughs> and he'd put me in charge, and someone came in and talked about Paul like that, they'd be skidding on their ear in the parking lot. Get out of here. You know, that's Paul you're talking about. Oh, he's just, his letters, he's real strong and powerful when he's away from us, but when he shows up, he's weak, and his speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this, Paul says. Though what we are in word by letter, when we are absent, such we will also be in deed when we are present. That's a threat. <laughs> That's a threat. Oh, you think we're strong when we're away? Wait till we come. And no, I'm not talking about my thick eyebrows and my skinny little, you know, lack of muscle. You know, I'm talking about I'm going to be coming strong in the Holy Spirit. And uh, that's powerful. Um, you guys are looking at things the wrong way. And that's probably where Acts 13 comes into play, what we read earlier. Um, be careful. You know, we're not, to, we're not supposed to talk about people like that, especially ones that have been anointed by God, who have been called by God. Um, today we lost um, our pastor as an American country, as our nation, Billy Graham. Um, and, and, and it is a celebration for him, of course. It's a great loss for us. It's a great loss. I'm sure God has other people raised up and is doing wonderful things and other men. But um, talk about someone who finished their race. I mean, he finished his race. And, um, of course, he's got a good boy taking, 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 the, um, taking the wheel after he left. But um, he was weak in the end, 99 years old, couldn't move or anything, but powerful in the spirit. Still knew the gospel. Every time he was interviewed, didn't matter who was interviewing him, didn't matter what television camera was shoved in his face, by the time it was over, everybody heard the gospel that day. Everybody. He never failed to give out the gospel. And his son is doing the same thing. Um, and that's good. Anyway, we'll be present. Uh, when, we, when we show up, we're going to be the same as we are in our letters. Verse 12. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. You guys are looking at each other like, I'm bigger than you. Well, yeah, but that's not the comparison, Paul says. The comparison is Jesus. 
See, the world and Satan would love for the, everybody to think that way. I'm not as bad as them. I mean, I'm not as bad as them. That's, that's, the, that's Satan's big hook, you know. We've always got Hitler to go to, don't we? On my worst day, but I'm not Hitler. You know, well, okay, good for you. I mean, Stalin? Or what, how close are you to him? Or whatever. That's not the comparison. The comparison is always Jesus Christ. I'm no Jesus. There you go. There you go. And that puts everybody in the same place. That puts everybody equal. No one's anybody. No one's higher than anybody else. No one's better. Everybody. Billy Graham is not going to heaven because he was a great man of God. He's going to heaven because he trusted in Jesus Christ to die on the cross for his sins. And he would be the first to say that, obviously. He just spent his time here on earth doing God's will, you know, in appreciation for what he'd received from Christ way back in Sunday school, you know. He just gave his life to the Lord. And Billy Graham still, he was the one that quoted that. He's the one that said that. We have yet to see in this world a man whose heart is fully God's. He included himself in that. We've yet to see. So, comparing ourselves to ourselves, Paul says, you guys are busy congratulating yourselves and comparing yourselves and looking at each other and thinking you're better than each other. That's foolish. That's not how we do it. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us. A sphere which especially includes you. You're not outside of our sphere. You know, this is my sphere of influence. Everybody has a sphere of influence, you know. We didn't step outside of our sphere of influence and come into somebody else's church and say, by the way, we're going to be ruling and leading this church now. No, 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 no. We started this church. For me to write these letters to you is normal. You're well within our sphere of influence here. They're not, is what he's getting at. They've stepped into territory and turf that was never theirs. They've come in and they're thwarting the efforts of Paul and what God has done there. And so he's not happy with that. Um, for we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. We came to you and you didn't know nothing. And he's not putting them down. He's letting them know, no, we came in and started this, you know. Other people may come in and, and, and think less of us, but you guys shouldn't of all people. We were hoping that once we share the gospel with you, man, it's going to go great and you guys are going to start sending people out. And it's just going to, you know, multiply. That's what he's hoping for. Verse 17, But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Remember he started off that letter this way. Do we need to write letters of, do we need to get letters of commendation from you again? He goes, you know, you could write them because we're worthy of them, but we're not here to receive letters of commendation from you. In the military, you get letters of commendation for doing something really good at some time. And anybody that receives a letter of commendation always looks around and says, it wasn't me, it was everybody else. You know, that's just kind of how we roll. Um, and all Paul's saying here is, um, you don't want to commend yourself, you know, as approved. And that's what they would do. The guys came in, and they were rough with them. Um, these Jews are rough guys. Um, they're big. They're bigger than Paul, physically. 
um, these rabbis come in, and sometimes the rabbis, um, if the student isn't getting what they're supposed to get, they'd smack them on the side of the head to get them to, to pay attention and to really understand these things. They'd, they'd, they'd hit them. And this broke Paul's heart. He's going to explain all this in a minute, but in chapter 11. But this broke Paul's heart. Why would you put yourselves under that kind of authority? Was I ever like that with you as a pastor, as someone who cares for you? Was I ever someone to smack you on the side of the head because you didn't get it? I don't know what it is about us, but we're kind of drawn to that sometimes. Some people are drawn to beatings. They just think either they deserve it or it makes them feel more pious or humble or lowly or something like that. They're drawn to that. And Paul says, that's not how it is. That's not how Christ works or operates. That's not how the Holy Spirit moves. It's in gentleness. It's in meekness. That's why I want to come to you like that, he says in the beginning. I don't want to come where I have to chew you out for being carnal, you know, being the Spirit. So, so don't look for people that are commending themselves. We want to look for ones that God commends. It's what does God think of you? What does God think of me? A lot of people, will they, they think all sorts of things about you. It's not true. It doesn't matter how many times they tell it to you. We've all seen little kids that have grown up in homes where they were told they were worthless. Maybe you're one of those kids. Maybe you grew up in a home where you were never good enough, where you never appreciated, where you never treated with respect, never treated like a human being, but someone who is less. They can say that all they want, but it's not true. That's their opinion. That's how they feel about themselves probably, or that's how they feel better about themselves, by putting little kids down. But how does God feel about you? God commends you. God loves you. You're created in his image. You're a child of his. You're awesome. You're everything to him. And that's the kind of father you have. Talk about my dad can beat up your dad. God loves you with an everlasting love. A love you've maybe never experienced before. Maybe you never have. But he wants you to feel it. He wants you to know it. He wants to put his hands on your face like that, not like that. He wants to gently hold you, you know. He wants you to know how special you are. That's what Paul's saying. Who does God commend? Now, verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. We'll go through this pretty quickly. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds might be corrupted from the simplicity that is in the gospel or that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you do not receive, have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. A lot of things to learn from this. That means there are several Jesuses out there, and there's only one true Jesus. There's several gospels out there, but there's only one true gospel. There's several Holy Spirit or spirits out there. There's only one Holy Spirit. And he warns us about that. He says, I'm afraid you guys are so weak right now that you may put up with a different Jesus. How do you know the true Jesus? I mean, back in the day, everybody was naming their kid Jesus. You saw how many Marys there were in the Bible? Mary this, Mary that, Mary, Mary, Mary. You can't even keep them straight half the time. They were naming Jesus Joshua's all over the place. Joshua, 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 Joshua. And so when Jesus shows up, which Jesus? The Jesus, the Son of God, the only God, the only divine one born of a virgin. 
but you may put up with a different Jesus. Or maybe someone who's the son of Lucifer or brother of Lucifer. There's some cults out there that believe that, that Jesus was a created being. He was just a brother of Lucifer, and he got a raw deal, and they came up with two different plans of salvation, and Satan lost, and Jesus won, and so Satan got mad, and now he's been a pain ever since. It's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. But that is another Jesus. A different spirit. You've received the Holy Spirit. That's important. That's the identifier. If you're going to talk about spirits, it's not just the capital S that makes him who he is. It's that first word. He's holy. He's holy. The Holy Spirit. And look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Gentleness, long-suffering, patience, kindness, joy. (laughs) Joy. That's my favorite part. And love, obviously. Love is the first and and all the others are attributes. So if you want to know one thing about the Holy Spirit, He is love. True love. Everlasting love. Agape love that doesn't expect anything in return and doesn't respond to your love. He just gives love. That's what He does. But you may receive a different spirit or a different gospel. I'm worried about you, He says. That's basically what He's getting at. I'm very jealous for you. I betrothed you to Christ. Betrothal means that's like, the, that's like the year before the actual marriage ceremony. We would call it an engagement. The Jewish culture, if you understand it, they would, they would engage their children like when they're four. <laughs> who were you around when you were four? That's who you'd be engaged to right now. Aren't you, aren't you glad we don't do that, right? Like you, well, I, was, I, I won't describe him, um, but I can imagine. I tried to think of, I was talking to Anna about this. I said, Anna, who were we around when you were four? We would have betrothed you to her, to him or whatever. And she's like, I don't even want to think about it. You know, (laughs) neither does Dylan. (laughs) It's a good thing. But the betrothal then is the second stage of their three-stage system. First there's the engagement, then the betrothal is the one year prior to the wedding. And you were basically married. If you want to get out of the betrothal, you'd have to get a divorce. It's that serious. It's not like we're, it's not a promise ring or something. It's like, no, you're actually married. You just can't enjoy marriage, if you know what I mean. You can't be married until the actual ceremony. So that's what it is. And that's what Paul's saying. I betrothed you to Christ. The wedding ceremony hasn't happened yet. Remember, he's coming for his bride. We're waiting for Jesus to return. We're betrothed. I betrothed you to one husband, and I'm jealous for you like he's jealous for you. Don't go off after somebody else, a different Jesus, a different spirit, or a different gospel. There's only one. Verse 5, for I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. I don't back down. Remember he chewed out Peter? He's not afraid of anybody. He says, I'm, I don't consider anybody anything. We're all brothers in Christ, you know. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. We've shown you everything. There's nothing hidden in us. Did I, did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in, and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in which, uh, in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you, or because I do not love you, excuse me, God knows I love you. That's the idea. Um, he's being sarcastic. It's a rhetorical question. Because I don't love you? Of course I do. In other words, I came to you on someone else's dime. 
Someone else paid me to come. And am I less because I didn't charge you? Because these guys do. These Jewish guys that came in after him, they do charge. Oh, he's got a heavy speaking fee. He must be a really good speaker kind of thing. No, he's just a crook. He's just a crook. Get worried about those guys. What do you mean you won't come for free? Paul did. He goes, does that make me weak because I humbled myself? Verse 12, but what I do, I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. You understand what he just said right there, right? He's not, he's not saying, I'm jealous and I don't want you to have any other pastor but me. He's saying, these guys are the spawn of Satan that are with you. These guys are going to meet the same end as Satan. These guys that are leading you down the wrong path, betrothing you to another Christ, to another spirit, to a different gospel, are going to have the same end as Christ. Their father is the devil. That's what he's saying to them. These are some bold letters, right? Straightforward. Verse 16. I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I may boast a little. They also boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as, but as if, I'm sorry, wow. <laughs> but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly since you yourselves are wise. For you put, up with, if, you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes, you, takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. To our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But in whatever anyone else is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. That's what I was talking about. How can you let these guys be like this to you? They put you in bondage. They're bringing them back under the law again. What they were set free from, they're back in bondage to again. They devour you. They take from you. They want more and more. Pass the hat again. Send out the, the, the offering plate one more time for love offering. I really feel like someone out there wants to give $5,000. I feel the Holy Spirit's really pushing it tonight. I really feel like he, no, you are. You know, you're pushing it, dude. You and your white sequin coat. That's not Christ. That's not God. Keep your money. God's not poor. We give. We learned that on Sunday. We give because we have our, last week. We, learned, we give because we're cheerful, because we love the Lord, because we know that everything we have is from Him, and we're just returning back some of it. But if you can't do that with a joyful heart, keep it. God never wanted anything from me. These guys, uh-uh, they take it. They take it. And they strike them on the face. That's embarrassing to Paul. Why would you do that? Why would you leave Christ for that? You know. Why do you want to get beat? Are they Hebrews? He says in verse 22, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I've received 40 stripes minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things. What other things could there be? And see, everybody else, all these Jews that were in their teaching, these spawn of Satan that he just called them that, they would say that was a character flaw. That's why you shouldn't trust Paul. Look at all the problems he's had. Look at all the difficulties he's had. Look at, I mean, the guy can't even walk straight anymore. He's crooked. He's got to have a personal physician, Luke, with him 24-7. He says, no, no, no. That's not a character flaw. That's love. I carry in me, Paul says. He finishes in me. Christ's stripes. He says, they finish the sufferings of Christ in me. That's a pretty bold statement. In other words, as soon as Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, Paul began to get beat just like Christ did. That's how he carried his cross. Didn't matter who he was in front of. Talk about bold. Talk about tough. Not in physicality. He didn't beat everybody with sticks. Give me that stick and snap it over. No, he took the stripes. He took the beatings for the love of the people. Who is weak? and I am not weak. Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under um, Eretus, the king, was guarding the city of the, of the Damascenes, uh, with a garrison, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and escape from his hands. And he's going to continue on, but we don't have time for that tonight. He's letting him know, this is, this is Paul's resume for the pastor search committee at Corinthians. You know, So Paul, what makes you qualified to be our pastor? I don't know, I've been beat more than anybody you've ever known. You know, Because I love. What kind of shepherd do you want? You, know? you want a shepherd that takes from you, beats you, puts you between... Him and the sheep, or in the, in the wolf, you know, keep a sheep between, you know, feed the wolves? Or do you want someone that's going to stand between the sheep and the wolves? That's the kind of shepherd you want. That's what Paul says he is. And that's where we look close tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's a very clear gospel. It's a very clear message that you've given us. That you so love the world that you gave your only son to die for us. We deserve death. We've sinned against you in many ways, um, in our thoughts, in our deeds. Um, and yet, you knowing that, and those things would separate us from you forever, because you're holy and we're imperfect, and the wages of sin is death, you sent your son to die on the cross instead of us. And um, all of my sins, all of our sins were nailed to that cross. And you took them. You stood between us and the devourer and you made yourself the sacrifice for us. That's the kind of shepherd we want. That's the kind of shepherd I need in my life. So I thank you, Jesus, for being my chief shepherd. And I pray that I would be born again. I pray that I would be filled with your Holy Spirit. I pray that I would walk in the Spirit now, not tomorrow, but now, recognizing 
the effects of the spiritual warfare that's going on around me and how it affects me physically and the things around me physically. But that I wouldn't fight physically. Lord, help me to fight spiritually with prayer, with the understanding of truth and knowledge in you, the salvation that I have in you, the righteousness I have in you. Uh, Lord, help me to live that way, uh, pulling down these strongholds and pulling down and taking captive the thoughts that go through my mind and uh, giving them over to you, Lord. That's how we want to fight. So God, we thank you for your word tonight, that the same problems we have today are the same problems the Corinthian had back then. It's no different. We're just people. And so we thank you for your truth. Help us to now walk in that truth. Bless us as we go tonight. Bless everybody with safe uh, travels, um, whether they're going all the way back up to Iowa or wherever they came from, Lord, give them journey mercies, Lord. And we thank you for our kids tonight, Lord. Those little guys, those little gals back there getting your word, getting taught by those faithful teachers, Lord. Uh, We thank you for those guys. Bless those teachers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.